Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Now, from Happy Valley, here's your host, Brian Tripp. Welcome into another edition of Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics as we round out our series on Penn State baseball players now making their push in professional baseball. And we conclude with a pair of Nittany Lions from last year who blossomed in their first season, half season of pro ball. Eric Mock, who was drafted by the Cleveland Indians in the 25th round and played last with the Mahoning Valley Scrappers in the New York Penn League. And that's part of the league that plays right here in State College at Medler Field with the State College Spikes and Ryan Sloniger, who was drafted by the Toronto Blue Jays after his senior season, and he bounced uh, back and forth between playing in the Appalachian League and with Vancouver in short season A-ball as well. Guys, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much for, for taking the time to join us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Sure. Yeah, thank you. Excited to, excited to talk some baseball and uh, uh, hopefully prepare everyone to get back into the swing of things with baseball season coming up. And Eric, I'm going to jump right off of that. Obviously, there was so much excitement after your first season in pro ball. It must be hard working out at home and trying to find ways to stay in shape right now because you're so eager to get back out there for year two. Yeah, for sure. Um, You know, coming off of a pretty decent season my first year and hoping to build off of that this year. um, I, I am a little bit older in age than a lot of the players at my level. So I got to find ways to separate myself. And, you know, right now just trying to make the most out of the situation that we're in. So staying fit and athletic, you know, just working out at home. And um, I I was able to even build a uh, pitching mound that I've been working out um, off of at home. So it's been good. Just uh, looking forward to this this first full season of um, pro ball. What did it take to build that mound? How'd, how'd you put it together? So uh, I saw a video on YouTube, actually, and um, headed right to Lowe's, grabbed a couple uh, two-by-twelve boards, uh, two large sheets of plywood, and some rubber horse table mats, and uh, was able to put together a mound uh, in about three or four hours with my dad, and uh, it's paid off pretty well for me, and it's held up all right. Slani, have you been able to work out? Uh, yeah, I have. I've been lucky. Um, I have my own indoor place here with turf, cage, machine, everything. So I'm able to get all my offensive work in, get my defensive work in, um, you know, get to see some breaking balls. And, uh, you know, when the weather's nice enough, get out on the field and be able to do that. So I've been, you know, I've been pretty fortunate. I was fortunate in the off season too, um, to be able to continue to do that here with the weather. I'm excited to get back going and, you know, get started playing baseball again. Eric, do you need a catcher like Slani right now, or what are you throwing into? I could use the Sloniger right now. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm getting a little tired of the the wall and the fence that I'm throwing into. So, uh, yeah, Slani, we might have to link up here soon. I'm always available. You know that. Oh, I know. We might have to meet halfway. <laughs> <laughs> I can do that. I know a place. I think I think you spent a couple of years here. That would be somewhere <laughs> in between. Yeah, exactly. Obviously, it is tough with everything that, that's going on, and our thoughts and prayers are, are with those that not only are dealing with either fighting the coronavirus or are on the front lines and the healthcare workers each and every day, 
But you guys have a professional career of your own that you're eager to take that next step in. But what was the first year like? What was it like that transition going from playing college baseball to the to the minor leagues? Uh, for me, um, you know, I felt like playing four years uh, in the Big Ten and stuff, I felt like I was pretty well prepared uh, when I showed up. Obviously, it's a little different. You start playing with a bunch of Latin guys and stuff like that, and you know, you got to be able to communicate. But I felt like I felt like my body was ready. Uh, I felt like mentally I was ready to go. And you know, I also felt like the last month of my college season really, you know, helped help me get started in my pro season too. Because I felt I finished strong the last month in our season, and it kind of just you know kind of just carried over and kept going for me, which really helped me out a lot. Yeah, and to build off that, I mean, I think Slani hit it, hit the nail on the head, saying uh, how the Big Ten really prepared us well um, for pro ball. It, I mean, I faced probably ten or fifteen guys that I actually played in the Big Ten, uh, guys from Indiana, Maryland, Michigan, um, and the the talent was good. Um, there, the only difference was there was uh, a lot of younger talent, a lot of prospects that are a little bit younger and super talented, just need to refine their skills a little bit. So, But overall, I'd say the talent level is pretty pretty comparable to what we saw in the Big Ten. That's an interesting point, Eric, because in your first season, you could be in with 18-year-old signees out of that are international signees, or you could be with fellow college players like yourself. So there's, a, there's anywhere between a four, five, six-year age gap between some of the players. So do you feel like having that college experience gave you a leg up to be a more mature baseball player? Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Um, there, I mean, like you said, there's 18, 19 year old kids that just have all the raw talent in the world, much more talented than, than I am or some of the older college guys. But, um, you know, you can't really, you can't teach um, some of the things that we were able to learn in college. Just, you know, just being able to adapt to different situations. Um, you know, working with coaches for three, four years um, in a row, just, you know, it, it's it's tough to compare to, you know, what we were be able to uh, learn in college um, from the coaches there. So I, I would say the college athletes are typically a little bit more refined and not quite as raw as some of the younger talent. You know, I felt like that maturity, you know, whether it's three or four years or five years for a college guy, I think that makes a big difference allowing guys to kind of get jump started and not getting getting stuck as much early on. I think that's where, um, you know, I just think I, that's where the college experience really, really helps guys out. I mean, even just the time management and being able to figure out, you know, when you want to get your work in and the right way to go about it. Because the, the pro ball season and the days, they get long. And, you know, just that those little things in college really, really help you get through that first season. No doubt. You mentioned the days getting long. What's it like when your only focus is baseball for the most part? Because that's a complete transition from from where you were at just a couple of months earlier when you're playing and and dealing with classes and all the other things that go along with being a college athlete. It's it's nice. It's it's very nice <laughs> to say the least. Um, yeah, it it was. Uh, you know, college could get a little bit much with all the schoolwork and the travel and. You know, when you're in pro ball and the only thing you really have to worry about is baseball. And your your biggest problem normally is when you're going to find some time to sleep and eat. Um, but the, the reduced stress, I would say, definitely leads to 
a better performance on the field for sure. Yeah, I think that was, I think it was Moxie, like a reduced stress, like that's, that's huge because they, when you got classes and exam coming up and you're trying to get through a three game series and you got a big exam on Monday or something, like it's, you know, that's obviously a little extra that you don't have to worry about anymore. Like for me being able to, I was graduated and everything. I was really thankful for that. And, you know, if I ever want to go back and do any school stuff, I can do it after baseball. And right now, just being able to focus on baseball makes things a little bit easier on me. That being said, those experiences, having to go through a situation like that, when we talk about maturity and we talk about handling adversity, that can make you mentally tougher. I know talking about the mental aspect of the game is something Coach Cooper stresses a lot. That can make you and give you a leg up maybe on some of those 18-year-olds who, who don't know everything that you've had to go through during your trials and tribulations to get to that point. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're exactly right, Tripp. That's, that's one of the ways that I would say uh, the college players are separated from the younger players who signed straight out of high school or out of different Latin countries. Um, you know, obviously at Penn State with our different mental game sessions and mental game meetings and training with, um, you know, sports psychologists, um, that's not an opportunity that many people um, get to have. And with baseball being such a, a mentally challenging game, um, it, it was it definitely set us apart, you know, having that prior training um, and facing, you know, facing adversity and, uh, you know, learning how to, how to manage your time and cope with the stresses of school. And, you know, it, it, it just definitely helps us set us apart a little bit. Something that I think about, like, a lot of Penn State athletes have had success over to, I mean, always have had a lot of success in professional levels. I think it's partly because, like, Penn State is not an easy degree to get. It's a great degree to get, but it's also not the easiest one to get. So I think that, like, those struggles that you go through, being able to manage all that together really set guys up in all sports, um, you know, men and women, you know, at the next level. Um, you know, without how tough it is and, you know, but it's a, it's a great degree and it really sets everyone up for a lot of success after. You guys are both 23. Eric's about uh, a half year older than Ryan. Is there, because you're 23, is there a pressure to produce right away? Do you feel that the second you step on the field in the minors? I would say so. Yeah, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. There are younger players, you know, looking up to you, knowing that you have a little more experience under your belt. Um, so there's, a little bit of inherent pressure there. Um, and then also, you know, just being older at a younger level and um, with obviously this year, the season potentially being shorter, um, you know, there, there is a little bit of stress worrying, worrying about how long will the organization keep you around? You know, maybe if, if you don't produce one year, then the following year that'll add even more stress. So you might not have quite as much of a, quite as much leeway as um, some of the younger players. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely pressure that comes with it. Um, and I think there's always, especially for, you know, like for me as a senior sign, late round pick, um, you know, I always kind of look at it as like I have to create my next opportunity. We only have so much time to create those opportunities. So I think that's something that, yeah, like every day you step on the field, um, it's always kind of in the back of your head, but it's also something that we, we as athletes can't worry about too much um but it's something that you know like mock said with everything going on right now and everything with a short positive you know shortened season and stuff um you know it gives us even less time to create the next opportunity but it's something that 
it's also something that I really enjoy, and I know the way the mock is too. Um, you know, being in the situation where we have to create that opportunity, um, it makes it even more fun. Yeah, exactly. And at the and at the same time, I also wouldn't trade my college experiences for anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I say a lot of the time I can't imagine being a a, a high school signee and uh, just going right into pro ball. I I can't imagine what it would be like without that um, transition and the entire learning curve of college and how much I learned there. Eric, why did you feel like that was the right time to, to begin your, your minor league journey then? Um, you know, I, I just felt like with my age, um, because I am a little bit older for my grade, um, I always have been growing up and um, just with my injury pass, I, I had redshirted a year um, at Penn State my freshman year. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just felt like it was time to take the next step. And I felt uh, I felt that after my redshirt junior year at Penn State, um, I had finally reached a point mentally and physically where I, I was confident enough that I could move on and face pro hitters. Well, I wasn't trying to put any more pressure on you guys. And whatever pressure maybe that, that there was, you, you certainly handled it extremely well. Ryan, just going through your numbers from from your first year, you played in 43 games, hit 304, and hit 10 home runs with 31 RBIs. I'm guessing you enjoyed the confines of the ballparks you were playing in a little bit more than than Medler on a, a cold day in March. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I enjoyed hitting baseballs in the summer and the ball would fly a little bit. Um, <laughs> obviously, I know Mock loves pitching in Medler, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's for sure. It's a pitcher's ballpark, no question about that. <laughs> Still gave up my uh, my fair share of <laughs> long shots there, though. <laughs> Maybe not as many as on the road, though. Eric, let me share your numbers too, really quick. You go two and one with a three two one ERA, and I know they're looking at more than this these days. But thirteen games, thirty three and two thirds innings, thirty seven strikeouts. That's really good. And, and you had a WHIP of one point four. What do you think of your first season in in minor league baseball? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely proud of some of those numbers um with the indians the indians are an organization that's known for developing pitching talent um in the last five ten years and we have some different pillars that we that we look at the three main pillars being limiting walks generating strikeouts and limiting uh hard contact so they'll look at some exit velocities there um and those so those those are the three main uh parameters that they want us focusing on mainly um, not as much so ERA, um, but definitely generating strikeouts and limiting walks. So I think that I um, was able to, um, you know, successfully um, fill those pillars pretty well this first year. So Ryan, each organization is different. When you talk with your organization, what are some of the things that that they say that you can share with us uh, that they're evaluating you on, or some of those other some of those other aspects besides just the numbers? For us as hitters, you know, they really evaluated us on, you know, like exit velocities, like how much hard contact we're making. Swing-wise, we're a big, like, bat-path organization and making sure um, we have good paths and stuff like that. And that's a lot of, like, video work. But in-game, it's just a lot of, like, hard contact, quality of bat. And then defensively, uh, it's all about, you know, the pitch that – the pitch is in the strike zone, keeping them at strikes. Like, we had, you know, all our charts and everything. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, how many pitches just outside of the strike zone that were turning into strikes and stuff. And, you know, those are just the little things that 
they evaluate us on a lot going back to like our season and like video work and all the track man data and you know just some simple little things for us hitters and and obviously guys that have a lot of good hard contact doesn't always turn into good results but more times than not it's going to how do you feel i mean obviously the game's changing um in terms of looking at all these numbers you know just how you and i just explain that it's mm-hmm. it, it really makes the game seem kind of nerdy and how it's uh <laughs> transitioning into an analytical game um but you know the way i look at it is like you know you hear people say oh make baseball how it was before and i just i think it's just evolving like anything else and um i think that it's uh, more interesting than anything and just being able to look at these different analytics and different numbers and use that to an advantage. What do you think, Juan? Yeah, like I, I love what baseball's turned to. Like obviously, you know, you look back at games, 70s, 80s, 90s, like it was a different style of game. But I just think now with the way that athletes have changed and the way that like the analytics, I feel like the analytics have made guys even better. I really do just because the more numbers that they give us, like we can take whatever we want from it. And, um, you know, we don't have to take everything. And But everything that we get, I feel like there's always one or two things that we can take that can make our game just a little bit better. Um, you know, I can really be able to see the areas that I struggle with my swing and stuff. And the same for you, like pitches that you struggle with in certain counts or like mechanically a little bit of things that you can end up taking yourself to the next level that I just think that all those things together have made, I think baseball is at the best that it's ever been. No doubt, no doubt. Yeah, it's funny because with all these reruns playing on MLB Network and ESPN and whatnot, I was watching an old Pirates game from the 70s and with Texan Swanee during it, like, because he was watching it as well. And I'm like, this is funny. I mean, it, it was just a completely different game and uh, something that I was never able to experience uh, by watching, you know, obviously growing up in the, the early 2000s. But, um, I, I mean, I'm just, going with the flow and I, I like how the game's adapting who were your favorite players growing up i was always a big jimmy rollins i'm a philly fan i was a philly fan growing up and i was always a big jimmy rollins chase Utley, roy halliday fan for sure yeah for me um when i was a kid i was a huge jack wilson fan as like i was grew, grew up a pirate fan and i loved jason kendall when he was in pittsburgh and then as i got a little bit older um obviously really enjoyed watching andrew mccutcheon and still two to this day. When you talk about those great Phillies teams, and I can relate, that's the team that I grew up rooting for. Everyone always talks about Utley and Howard, and Rollins gets some credit, but Jimmy Rollins really was the guy who made those teams go. And if you look at his MVP season, his ability for doubles, triples, home runs, stolen bases, hit for average, what he produced as a Philly was remarkable. Oh, it was incredible. And I think I'm, I might have even taken it for granted growing up watching him a little bit. Uh, I believe 07 was his MVP season, and I was watching a Rockies game from 07 when they had Matt Holiday, And, you know, they kept talking about how he was the front runner for the MVP, and he had done some incredible things. And the fact that Gerald snuck that one out was incredible. He was just – he was always a great, uh, a great player to look up to. He always, you know, did things the right way. He was a true five-tool player, I would say, and I'm going to venture to say he he's the reason that uh, the Phillies won that championship in L.A. Yeah, I agree. And in 07, 
pitching coach Josh Newman was on that Rockies team, and I always remind him, like, they didn't have to beat the Phillies and knock them out of the playoffs in 07. I, 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 as I was watching that game, I texted him, and I was like, hey, I know another Josh on this team. Uh, you don't have to knock my Phillies out in the NLDS like that, because I, I remember that to this day. Well, that was the first time the Phillies had made the playoffs. And sorry, Slani, we're going down down a road that you haven't experienced here as a Pirates fan. Um, <laughs> That's okay. That that year, I was a freshman in college, and the Phillies hadn't made the playoffs since 1993. And and my roommate, he would take naps at four o'clock in the afternoon in the middle of the day, and he would get so mad at me for watching the Phillies game. And they were in that series, and I wasn't exactly quiet I wasn't loud but it wasn't quiet and it was the middle of the afternoon he would get so angry with me for watching the game in the middle of the day like he did not understand what that meant as a Phillies fan even though they didn't win that series against the Rockies just for them to make the playoffs for the first time really and I was born in 88 so the first time since I was five years old to see a Phillies team play in the playoffs was awesome <laughs> yeah it was incredible I I remember coming home from school around three o'clock and turning on those games, even though they got spanked that year. But then I think they <laughs> rattled off. I think they rattled off a few uh, consecutive postseason appearances after that. So that that was that was a good part of the Phillies uh, dynasty for sure. They did okay. They did okay. And then and then Slani, you'll always have the the Johnny Cueto dropping the ball moment in, in Pittsburgh. Of course, I was at that game, and it was. That was one of the coolest sporting events I've ever been to at the Pirates. You know, I've been 20 straight losing seasons and then getting back to the playoffs. Um, you know, that was a pretty – that was a special group of players that they had there that, you know, they developed and then added some pieces. I always remember, like, A.J. Burnett on that team. And, um, you know, I thought he was a big part and, you know, kind of what, what helped them kind of get back to that point. He was that veteran presence that had been there before. And, you know, I remember that was – there was a three-year stretch where they went to the playoffs and unfortunately playing the wild card game for three straight years. Um, you know, it was something that I'll always remember as a Pirates fan. That almost brings us back to what we were talking about, where when a team doesn't have success or, or when a player doesn't have success, and then you finally get to achieve it, and, and you kind of live this as fans, that makes the accomplishment so much more rewarding and so much sweeter when, when you finally get to experience that, when you haven't experienced it in so long, like, like those teams as fans making the postseason. Oh, yeah. I always, like, because it's just like going to, like, help going as an athlete. Like, I always, I truly believe you have to fail before you can truly succeed. And obviously the Pirates did it for 20 years. But then that whenever they finally truly figured out how to win and succeed, you know, I thought that was something, even for me as an athlete, to really, truly respect because I think that's what it takes. Like, you got to be at the bottom at some point to, you know, finally get to the point where, you're finding success consistently. Yeah, it reminds me, as I'm watching the, the Last Dance, the Chicago Bulls documentary, mm-hmm. it reminds me of uh, before 91, Michael Jordan was just known as a great player and the scoring leader. And, you know, 91, I think, was when they finally broke through. And I've only ever known Michael Jordan as a winner. Um, so then once he finally broke through in 91, he was able to win a couple more championships. But... It, you're exactly right, Swanee. It, it does. You do have to fail um, in order to win. So, we were talking about analytics in baseball, and they have it in every sport now. Do you think Michael Jordan would have been an analytic guy for basketball? Ooh, uh, what do you I think, Swanee? I think he's just the kind of guy that 
whatever you were going to give him that would help him win, he was going to take it. Like, I truly believe, like, I think if he felt felt that that was going to help him, he would take it because he just, he's a guy, he's just a winner. And whatever he had to do to win, I think he would have used it. Yeah, I could have seen him going either way. So I'll go, I'll go with the contrary and say, no, I don't think he would have been an analytical guy. Um, I could have seen him just saying, you know, forget about that. I'm just going to go out and do whatever I need to do to win. It's funny, though, to hear that from you, Ryan, because when you talk about what both yourself and Eric are doing in the minor leagues, you want that information. It seems like all high-level athletes, and I'll never experience this, but all high-level athletes, whatever you can get to make yourself the best or be the best, it's very valuable to have all those tools there for you, but then it's how you use those tools and what information you use enhancing your game that really helps you take it to the next level. Yeah, exactly. Like I, like I said before, like I think you don't ever have to take everything, um, but if you're able to pull one or two things that can help you get to the next level, I think that's all. I think that's all you need because from every person, you can if you're able to take one little thing from everyone, um, I think it can truly change your game. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. I I think that uh, I think right now the most successful players and the most successful players moving forward are going to be the ones that are able to filter some of this information uh, and tailor it to their own specific needs and just knowing their, knowing themselves and what information helps them most and what, you know, what lousy information they don't want lingering in the back of their mind because there's so much of it now that, you know, you don't want your mind taking over completely. You still want to be able to, to perform in the moment. Before I let you guys go, and when I was talking to Taylor Lehman and Justin Hagenman on the, the last episode we did, we were talking about minor league baseball, and as, as we know it as fans, we know about the, the promotions and the wacky jerseys and the goofy team names. This year, in your, your season, what were some of the craziest promotions that, that your team was a part of or that you, were, that you came across as a visiting team? So we had, when I was in Mahoning Valley, we had... Um, Peppers and oil um, night. Peppers and oil night, which I still don't even know what that is. I think it's some kind of Ohio thing. But we had jerseys, these flamboyant rainbow jerseys with peppers and oil on them. So I thought that was pretty interesting. (laughs) Yeah, we, in Vancouver, um, there was always a ton of things. They had, um, like, everyone has, like, a race or whatever with some mascots. Vancouver, they had a like a sushi race kind of thing, sushi roll race every night. Um, the ground crew would dance in the fifth inning. Um, that was something every night. And then in Bluefield, they had a had a motorcycle night where to start of the game, we had a bunch of dudes riding motorcycles around the park, and then they threw out the first pitch. <laughs> Do you guys that enjoy sounds that? Sounds like a good time. Do you guys <laughs> enjoy that stuff as players? Does that at least help keep it fun or keep breakups in the monotony of, of minor league baseball and the day-to-day grind? Yeah, no doubt. It, it gets pretty repetitive doing the same thing, going to the field and doing your same exact routine every day. So once it's game time and the fans roll in and you get to see some smiles on their faces and some different silly antics around the ballpark, it, it breaks that up for sure and um, reminds you part of the reason why you do what you do, um, you know, to – interact with fans and uh, see them happy and especially the younger population being able to positively impact them. Yeah, I think it makes it a ton of fun. Like, 
think big league seasons, minor league seasons, all of that. I think they can, you know, they can get a little bit long, but baseball is something that's supposed to be fun. And I think there's like the fan interactions and different things like that. I think it just makes it even more enjoyable because in reality, we're all playing a kid's game. And I think we should all be able to, you know, be able to do kid things where the ballpark and just have fun and enjoy the experience. What was it like living and playing a few games in Canada for a little while? Uh, I thought it was awesome. I loved it in Vancouver. It was a really nice city, cool city. Um, you know, and I think probably my favorite experience to this day is, you know, Canada Day uh, whenever I was there playing. And, you know, it was it was cool. Like, they take it. It's a special thing to them, a special holiday. And, you know, that night uh, we played a great ball game. And I thought that was a ton of fun there. And that experience, uh, you know, it was one of the times that I really – truly but like felt like I was playing you know playing minor league baseball officially and for me I think it's fun to watch and it's cool to watch guys that you've covered at Penn State and you've gotten to know at Penn State go out and not only live their dream of playing minor league baseball but to see the really awesome places that minor league baseball and baseball in general can take you during your career whether it's at Penn State and getting to play uh, at Texas A&M or, or TCU or playing in the best ballpark I think in college baseball right here in Happy Valley or wherever you go now on your baseball journey. For me, it's fun to watch you guys and see what, what a sport can mean to someone's life and, and the way that the sport has impacted your lives and the way that you've impacted the sport as well. No doubt, Trip. We, uh, in our batting cages at Medler Field, um, there are all the, they're big stickers, like almost like fathead stickers of all the different teams in the Big Ten and then um, all of the teams in the New York Penn League. And so for four years, I was um, going into the cages and looking at these stickers. And, you know, I'd tell myself, I want to play for one of these teams. And even if it's not in this league, then um, hopefully it'll be another team in a uh, short season that I'll be able to um, play for right after my time with Penn State. And I was fortunate enough to go to Mahoning Valley and be able to come back to Penn State and play there, which, you know, was a dream of mine even though I didn't get to pitch in State College again. Um, just being able to go back there um, as a minor league player that time was pretty humbling. Yeah, and I think going off, like a mock-in, you said trip play, I think, you know, the things, like the places they can take us, just like for us, like going to Cuba our freshman year, mm-hmm. um, like I would, we, I would never have an opportunity if baseball didn't take me there. And you know, that's something that's pretty cool that, you know, we were able, we were given that opportunity because of baseball. And then, you know, it continues to open more things up for us. Well, this was a, a lot of fun for me. Really appreciate the time and uh, best of luck once things get started back up. Uh, yeah, hey, I appreciate you having us. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. All right, Trip, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for having us. Ryan Sloniger and Eric Mock, our guests this week on Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. And that wraps up our series of Penn State Baseball Pro Lions as a couple of Nittany Lions continue their professional journeys in minor league baseball. It was really, really fun to talk to Jim Haley and Jack Anderson, the Biazzi brothers, Taylor Lehman and Justin Hageman, and of course right here on this episode, Ryan Sloniger, Eric Mock, and appreciate all the time that they gave us, and hopefully they all can have success when the minor league baseball season resumes or perhaps when they can get into the major leagues here in the very near future as well. If you like what you heard here today, make sure you hit that subscribe button and we will talk to you next time. As you know, this is Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics.